Open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you for your mercy. When you couldn't find chapter 44 in Exodus, that you realized I'm in Ezekiel, then I punished you for still flipping the pages of your Bible. It's a hard life here. In the first service, I tried to turn you to Exodus 44, and I meant Ephesians. I meant (laughs) these E books. I meant Ezekiel 44. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul quotes out of Psalm 68, beginning in verse 8, makes an argument, a one-word argument from the word ascended in the next couple of verses and said that he gave some apostles in verse 11 and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Then he explains the work of the ministry in verses 12 through 15 and he concludes with a verse that is binding upon the whole church what church members owe to one another. Verse 16, the last person of the passage is Christ in verse 15, so the whom, the second word of verse 16, is our Lord Jesus Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There is a loving work that each of you owe to the other members. Every part should be involved. Every joint is involved. And it joins the church together more tightly and compacts it as a fit, lean, powerful body of the church. Just like good exercise program, proper nutrition, and sufficient rest can turn the physical body into a compact bundle of muscles that can perform at a very high level. We want our church to perform at a very high level. And it takes the whole body is fitly joined together by God giving us the members that we have, just like your body, Lydia, has two arms and two legs, two eyes and two ears, There weren't any mistakes made. God's put together the members that make up this body, but all of them are supposed to be supplying and making increase and building up this body to what it should be by serving one another. So allow me for trait number 15, to grow in service, to be addicted to the ministry of the saints like the household of Stephanus was in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, And verse 15, a church gets better and grows up by every joint and part contributing to it. Let's first of all think about the human body, which I've just introduced. It is an inspired comparison. It's not mine. I don't use very many metaphors. This is God's first body, then building. Let's think about it. Think body, an inspired idea with some limbs, joints, and organs that aren't working. 
What kind of a body is it? A physical human body that has some organs, some joints, some limbs that aren't working. What kind of a church is it? It's a joke of a church. Just like if a person had limbs, joints, and organs not working, to watch them move or to read any of their health signs would be a joke for a human body. Of course, these organs, limbs, and joints that don't work are still attached. They're still sitting here in the church membership. But the rest have to carry them without any help. Let's be convicted and troubled that we all carry our weight in compacting this body together by encouraging and comforting, warning, suggesting, rebuking, correcting, instructing, showing charity toward the other members so that we compact ourselves into the body that it can be. An athlete's body has every part, every joint, and every organ fully developed for maximum performance. We want to do that as a church. Being present in the body by attending does not do much at all for overall gain or growth of that body or for performance. We want to perform in a way that pleases God. We want to perform in a way that helps each member. We want to perform in a way that the gospel is sounded out in other places in the world because of the way we function together. So let's grow in service to each other. Let's thank building. That's an inspired idea in God's Word about the church with some stones not supporting any other stones. All the stones need to be attached together with mortar on a foundation, lifting up an edifice so that it's a beautiful thing for the Lord. Let's Every stone in here, you're a living stone. Contribute to the overall strength of the church, not by mere attendance, not by merely writing a check, but by encouraging, provoking, lifting up, warning, praising one another. Let's just collapse in upon each other and help one another. Of course, as members, they are on the foundation, but they do not help to lift the edifice that we want to have. We want to have a beautiful superstructure over us, and that's the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we all want to be lifting up toward that as this verse describes in powerful language. A magnificent structure has every part and joint contributing strength upward. A magnificent building, every joint and part is lined up to support up toward the top. And we want the Lord to rest on the top upon our church. Being present in the building by attending does not fill in holes and build upward. Are you helping us build upward? I gave you an idea for what you could do this Wednesday. When your pastor got lazy and canceled the men's meeting. I want you to call me that. Because then I'm going to see what you do on Wednesday night. And how long you prepare for it. Because it's an opportunity. You know, to have a, have some men over, look at some slides, and say, guys, are you doing it? That'd be a great thing for a man to do. It's been done in our church. Men have had other men over and gone through the series Bible Economics. 
and then shed some of their own advice and encouragement on that at the end. Some have done that with some other subjects. That can be done. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. We can't forget the body life of our church. It's not an event. It's not an activity. It's not a charade up here that we come in and watch like we did in a college classroom where we had no relationship with the other students sitting there at all. We have a relationship with the Lord and we have a relationship with each other and are we making each other better Christians by the simplest little things. I'm not going to say anything complicated. Just to walk up and to say to someone, it is good to see you here today. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm thankful you're a member here. Any one of those things by themselves would be sufficient. It's just to be remembering that we're to be building each other up to make the kind of church that pleases the Lord. One another duties. Have you ever heard that from me? That little compound pronoun that's pretty unique to the Bible? One another? It's a compound pronoun. One is singular, and another is singular. One another. We're supposed to love one another. Every one member is supposed to love all the other members. One at a time. It's a great pronoun. It's God's Word. He got us. We're caught. Lovingly caught. That a church that is great will expand, will just do those one another duties. Every time you do something for one other member, the Lord sees it. And it compacts the body. Do you remember a scattergram from math classes? Maybe geometry. Maybe statistics. A scattergram, you've got a circle and you've got dots spread all over it. You know, we want those dots to be reaching out toward other dots. Maybe the ones that are scattered the farthest from the nucleus or the center and and collapsing the church in on itself. We don't want a scattergram where the members are spread out widely, but where they love the church, they love the Lord Jesus Christ that's the center of the church, and they love the other members, and so they pull them in to the center where we are tightly united around the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our goal. It's always been our goal. It's been preached many times before. It's been preached once a quarter, as long as I've been your pastor. But I'm going over it again right now, that let's grow in service to make those things happen. In some ways, a body or a building is only as strong as its weakest link. And so we want to find weak links and embrace them in and strengthen them. Each member should have a conscious desire and make greater contribution over time. That's my point. Growing in service. Each member should have a conscientious desire and to make greater contributions to the church over time. You know, God's chosen this as His form of religion. It's not what I would choose. I'm a loner. And I'm telling you right now that my flesh ain't anything like God. But you already knew that, so there's no surprise or learning accomplished in the last two sentences. I'm a loner. But God's chosen this as His form of religion. And so whether we're loners or social gurus, we come in here and get along with each other and Help compact each other and grow up as a church. This is what the Lord wants. So we should grow in grace, grow in maternity, grow in maturity, and grow in opportunity to serve one another. Young members are just starting out in grace. 
They have little maturity and they have busier lives. So us older ones, you older ones, you know, let's not expect more things out of them. Let's do it ourselves. Membership in a church is not a ticket to the Lord's table. It is a part to make the body better. The body of this church better. Membership is not what you can get from the church, but what you can give to it. Let's always remember that. Grow up to lead. I'm speaking to everyone, men, women, and children, especially older men and women. We, we should all be growing up to lead rather than need in everything from doctrine to health comfort. Let's grow up to lead rather than need the church. Don't ask what your country, I mean, don't ask what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. Right. Always. Who, who could I help? Listen, on the way out, when I close in just a few minutes on the way out, just grab someone and say, I am glad you're a member of this church. I'm thankful to have worshipped God with you today. That person will need Vaseline to get through the back door and to get into their car. That'll just encourage them. And we should all be doing that for each other. And I'm laying out the simplest little things that we could do for each other. There are bigger, more complicated things that we should be doing for each other as well. But I want to make this easy. I just want us always to be pressing on toward higher ground. This is what the Lord wants of the church. You still have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. The church can edify itself in love. It can build itself up. Edify itself. Edify itself. The church is a self-building building. The church is a self-edifying edifice. The church is a self-perfecting body. It's an, it is an exciting concept. What is the spirit inside the body or the building? What directs the thoughts and affections and motives and drive? What is it? The spirit of the living God inside this body or this building. And who's the head? The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He has allowed us, He has chosen us to be members of His body in this place. That is exciting. But let's make it better than Usain Bolt's body. The fastest man in the world right now. His body does work to, his parts and joints and organs work together quite well. He's reduced the world records in a couple of events that will be very hard for anyone to ever break. Well, they will. If the Lord tarries, they'll come up with new human growth hormone and anabolic steroids. I mean, let's perfect our bodies right. and let's perfect this building. You, you're a living stone in it? Look around. Who can I support right now? Where can I take a timber that will set on me? And I can support it while it is strength is upward toward Christ and building up this magnificent structure for His namesake. Grow to mentor others. Are, are you mentoring anyone in this church? Helping them, instructing them, giving them some ideas, discipling them, rather than just existing to use PU space. I'm not your enemy or your opponent. I'm here on the behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ before He asks you to your face 
What do you do for this church? What did you do for my body? Are you mentoring anyone? Are you discipling anyone? Or you just come in and use pew space? No matter your spirituality at home, reading or praying, God is not impressed by a monk's life. He has chosen a body life for us. Since you're already in the church, how do you apply Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Always think, who can I serve? Who can I help right now? It could be an email, it could be a text, it could be a call, it could be a visit, it could be a plate of cookies, it could be a meal, it could be going on an interview with them and sitting in the parking lot and praying for them. It could be shaking their hands and saying, I'm glad you're a member of this church. It can be things large or small, but compact in. We want a body. Listen, do you know how much body fat Usain Bolt has? Unbelievable. When they get down under 3%, explosive, fast twitch muscles like those guys have. Forget it all. I'm just using it as an example because Paul did. Paul uses an inspired example. If the world can have Big Brother, does the world have Big Brother programs? Mm-hmm. Big Brother. You go join the Big Brother club, and they assign some little moron to you, and you take, well, I'm, I'm doing it because that's what you're all, you know, I'm just trying to help you think through this. <clears throat> they assign a little moron to you, and you make that little moron feel very special. You take him places. You take him out to eat for breakfast. You go shoot hoops with him. You help him with his homework. You go visit his school. You encourage him in his schoolwork. They do it. They do it. You know what the Bible says about little morons? It says we give greater glory to the uncomely members in a church. Right, right. And no one in here is a little moron. I'm just using it for the sake of the illustration. Let's, re- let's reach out and lift up some of these young men. Right. Young women. Does the world have Boy Scouts? How much does a troop leader get paid on an annual basis? Zero. Zero. What do they usually cough up of their own to be a Boy Scout leader? A couple hundred a month? Easy. Do they do it willingly? Do some do it their whole lives? Can we embrace the idea at least? Can you go home and think about it? I'm not beating the pulpit. I'm not screaming at you. I have no bull whip out. I just, the idea of the best body possible for the Lord Jesus Christ, that when he shoots the gun for us, we explode out of the blocks and do 9.57 in the 100 meters. Yes, that would be a world record by one one hundredth. That it's a building that's fit for the Lord Jesus Christ as the dome. That's not a good word. Steep, no, that's not a good word. The roof. We're the building. Let's be the best. Will you, will you just think about some of the, the world does it. Do you know how many Boy Scout troop leaders there are? Cub Scouts, Girl Scouts, Brownies? Do some Boy Scout troop leaders take a little moron in at the age of 12? You had to be 12 to join. It was painful to wait. Do they take them and nurture them? until they graduate as an Eagle Scout? An Eagle Scout is a significant accomplishment. They do. 
How much do they get paid? Do you know how we get paid? Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's a mentality of service that comes straight from the Lord Jesus Christ. He showed us how to do it. He said, I didn't come to be ministered unto. I came to minister and to give myself a ransom for many. Jesus died in the duty of serving. <clears throat> How much did he get paid by us? Nothing. Oh, he got paid. And I'm trying to say, you'll get paid. There's a paymaster. I'm trying to use the gentle approach right now. I'll just tell you that in case you're not able to figure it out from me. Can we embrace the idea of what makes a great church? Let's get over any infantile differences of opinion that sow discord among brethren. That is the devil. Your duty is to consider, to exhort, and to help others. When we come in here, you know, let's not have a reunion with our families. If you see me talking to my wife before God, it is a matter of business. I'm trying to find out who's where or who's sick or who's in the ER and needs Adam Green down there or something like that. But when we come to church, I don't want you to see me yapping with my family because you're my family. And we want to be with each other. We don't want to be have the same group around us every time. Right. We want to reach out and all of us collapse in and to make the great church that the Lord Jesus Christ deserves and wants. How old are you? I say, what do you mean? How old are you? Do you serve like it? Your Christian age, this is my little invention, your Christian age is your biological age plus your spiritual age. My spiritual age is 40. My biological age is 58. I'm 98 years old. Poor little Colin sitting over here. He's only 28. He's 24 plus 4. His Christian age is about 4. His biological age is 24. He's just a little great guy. I'm 98. He's 28. Should I have something to give him? Do your math. How many minutes? Should we have five minutes of silence? The number of years that you've been a Christian since you were convinced of the truth of the Bible and your biological age, both of those have led you through a lot of spiritual experiences and a lot of worldly experiences. You are ancient in a good way. You have things to give. You have things to share. And coming from you, it means a lot to younger ones. Most churches have a core of members that do most of the work of various kinds, but we don't want it that way. We want it to be just the way Ephesians 4.16 says. Every joint, every part, the whole body, fitly joined together, edifies itself in love. What keeps church members from being like Stephanus? Do you know that we have some like Stephanus in here? They're addicted to the service of the saints. Well, they think that church is like college. So we come in, sit down, listen to a lecture, and go home. This is Roman Catholicism, and it's Greenville Tech. This is different. We have a relationship. Thank you very much, Eric, for what you said. Then it's not just me. 
Thank you. It's not an activity. It's not an event. It's a relationship with each other, horizontal, and it's a relationship up to the Lord. But there's a tendency and a temptation, and some of us have seen it before. You know, there's not only the Sunday school mentality that turns it all into kind of a circus, but there's also the Bible study mentality that turns it into just a lecture where you sit there, you take notes, and yes, I just learned three more verses of the Bible, and it's time to go home, and I'll see you next week at the uh, appointed hour. You know, Christian 101, Mondays, 8 o'clock. That's not what our church is. There's a body life of embracing and helping each other. If we're going to trust this Bible and believe it, it's not a lecture hall. A lecture hall would be easier for all of us. But we have duties toward each other. A church should look like the one in Acts chapter 2. Look at this. Acts chapter 2. Full of the Holy Ghost. These people show us what a church should look like. We want Acts 2. 41 through 47. We'll start with verse 42 to get right to the point. They had 120. They had a slight increase on the day of Pentecost from 120 to 3,120. Then they, that, verse 42, and they continued, that is the 3,000, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So they are doctrinally steadfast and fellowship. They love the fellowship of the apostles. They were in unity and they loved the friendship and they were one, they were together joined with the apostles in the enjoyment of being part of Jesus Christ's church and in breaking of bread and in prayers. We understand that to be referring to communion and praying. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing... We daily, you know, when I talked about attendance today, what are we talking about? Two times a week at most. Sunday mornings and Wednesday night at most. And they continuing daily with one accord. There was no differences, no divisions, no bitterness, no resentment in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They loved to eat together, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They ate meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They had one heart and they were, they loved to be with each other and to, to have some food together, praising God and having favor with all the people. Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Jerusalem were impressed by this loving camaraderie and community spirit that the church of Jesus Christ had. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Jesus said, all men shall know that ye are my disciples by the love you have one to another. This is how we do it. We want to be with each other. We want to eat together. We want to rejoice and praise together. We want to be in fellowship together. We want to be in apostolic fellowship. We're of one heart, one accord. We do not let anything divide us. The world can bring every onslaught against us. We will not be touched. The devil can bring anything. He can try to work in between us. He can try to divide and separate it. We will not let it happen. Right. 
Because we are committed to be one solid, tied together, compacted body with the Lord Jesus Christ as our head, being operated by one Spirit inside us, which is the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we want to be like. It's a glorious description. It's the Bible description. It's not my ideas for this church's future. It's the Lord's ideas for this church's future. You know, why Why aren't more people like the household of Stephanus? I just gave you some reasons. They think church is like college. So you come in and sit down. That's like Roman Catholicism. You watch the charade up front and go home. But we can't, we can't allow our church to look like a Bible study either. We want to look like Acts 2. They're too busy, which is a bad choice for your life and, it's, and or it's bad time management. Someone else will do it, you say, which is a false excuse for your lack of involvement. These are bad excuses that people have. They're too busy. No, you're not. It's an issue of priorities. Someone else will do it. That's not Ephesians 4.16. I just don't consider it my role. Well, now you do, because I just read Ephesians 4.16 to you. It's what we all should do. I heard about a brother recently saying, I don't know if I've ever seen a church like this church. There's not just young people and there's not just old people. It's everybody. And we all love. And we want that to be more and more true. And thank you. You encouraged my heart. I, Yeah, some stuff goes on second and third hand. I hope you're not offended. They're just too tired, too lazy, or some other carnal excuse for not putting out the effort. It doesn't take a great deal of effort. It just takes a little bit. Some don't put out any from week to week, month to month. Let's just put out a little. They excuse that it's just not my style. Whatever. You know, denying Christ's strength to do anything He's asked of you. You know, it's, I'm just not a people person. Join the crowd. You know, the crowd of one in my office. That can't be good enough. That's not an excuse. It's not going to satisfy the Lord in the day of judgment. They want a role that they don't have in the church. You know, if I was a deacon, I'd really get busy. Oh, show us that you know how to get busy and we'll make you a deacon. They have bad church habits of attending, maybe giving, but doing very little else. It's just a bad habit. I'm trying to shake your habits right now. To think about the things the Lord wants us to do. We're talking about trait number 15, to be a church on higher ground. You say, at the end of my life, I just want to retire, including church responsibilities. When did What kind of a project did David take on at the end of his life? Paying for the temple. Where did the blueprints come from? Through David. Where did the relationships come from for all the choice timbers out of Lebanon and Tyre? Through David's relationships. At the end of his life, it says very plainly in the Bible that he gathered with all his might before he died. When he died, they had to pull the hose away to give him an opportunity to tell Israel of what they had and how they were supposed to take care of Solomon and to make sure that it was an exceeding magnificent temple to God. David took on a huge project at the end of his life. How can we do better? Every assembly is an opportunity to consider someone, comfort someone, encourage someone. Look at church that way. Every assembly Who am I going to get today before I get to my car? There is my victim. And you go and get them. I'm talking about something so simple. But do you know what it does? It's like that, especially the farther that person is away from your age group. 
Ignore your family to focus on the church. Encourage one, two, or three or more a week with a compliment for something good in their lives. That's why we share so much through updates. The updates are not to take more time out of my life. The updates are for you to know what's going on in the church so that you can send that little text and say, it was great to read that about you, or I'm praying for you in this particular need you have in your life. That's why I do the updates. Show hospitality of some sort every month. Once a month. Do you know what N-word describes once a month? Nothing. It's nothing to show hospitality once a month. A month is this gargantuan amount of time. I think they still have about 30 days in them. You know, why not? Others are doing it two, five, and even ten times a month. In hospitality, friends and peers hardly count to God. So you can't count the ones that you do to your friends, so it's just a nice, comfortable friend-with-friend dinner. It's reaching out for the little or the uncomely members of the church in order to embrace them. Attend a quiz, especially if you don't have any children quizzing. And say something to the quizzers. Don't just sit there. You know, that's very meaningful to the, to the Lord. It's very meaningful to the quizzer. It's very meaningful to the quizzer's family. You don't have any quizzers, but you go anyway. Why? Because you want to compact the body together by taking care of somebody that's just memorized the book of Hebrews. Greet every visitor, without exception, with a simple warm welcome to our church. Recall the amen that Paul assumed was taking places, was taking place in churches. Even if you're not comfortable with it, it's what Paul assumed happened. Assign your children every week to seek out at least one other far out of their age group to say something to. Be a cheerful participator in the unofficial, informal activities or gathering of brethren. Don't criticize anyone else's difference, even in your heart, on matters of Christian liberty. Let them be. Part of soul winning is doing this inside our church. Several have had home meetings to listen to a sermon and then discuss applying it. That is just such an easy thing to do, such a good thing to do. May the Lord bless you to do it. Grow in service. We want to be addicted like Stephanus. We want to fulfill Ephesians 4.16. We want to look like Acts chapter 2. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah 32. Liberal giving. This shouldn't take long. How many times a year do I preach on giving? Not very many. While we hardly speak or write about giving, it's an important part of God's worship. If we're going to be a great church, we're going to be a great giving church. And I'm not talking about me. Every sermon like this, don't you dare put one more penny in the little ox box over here. Not one more penny. I couldn't care less. Not one more penny. It is never for that purpose that I ever bring this subject up. It's because great men throughout both Testaments were great givers. We reject offertories in this church. Have you noticed? No offertories. Do you know what an offertory is? Fancy men in fancy suits come forward with their hands folded like they're working at a funeral home and stand across the front and the pastor uses anywhere from two minutes to 20 minutes to beg the last buck out of your wallet. And then they come to your row and look down at you and hand you a plate. And if they don't get what they want in the the morning service, they'll try to get it in the evening service. 
That's two a Sunday. That'd be a hundred in a year. When was the last time we had an offertory? We don't have one. And I want to commend this church right now. You won't give any church your size anywhere. Can we do better? That's all on an individual basis. Can we do better? We can do better. We don't have campaigns, telethons, challenges, or other money-grubbing efforts, do we? When was the last telethon we had? We do need a building. This is amazing. We need a church building. Do you know what churches do when they need a church building? They go hog wild. Do you know what happens in the morning service? There's two offerings. One for the general and usual needs of the church and one for the building plan. Absolutely. They'll, ha- they'll take it twice. Those funeral home men will come right back up there. <laughs> this time they have shades on. And they stand there because we need a building. And baby, we're going for the gold. We're going to build a building five times as big as we need, and it's going to have gold-plated lawn, you know, lavatory fac- facilities or whatever. It's going to have stained glass 40 feet high. It's going to have a steeple that reaches to heaven. We don't have them. And we're never going to have them. We have a little ox box, and we have a big church box, and we have a little food box. We need a building, and we don't beg for money. Let it always be that way. Let the Lord Jesus Christ be preached, the sound doctrine of the Bible, the book of Proverbs a little bit, because the book of Proverbs does promise how God will take care of those who give. America is the richest nation ever, but the average conservative Christian gives 3%. They haven't exceeded 3% for over 40 years in America. Americans spend two times that much for, they spend two times their giving on entertainment and pets. And all this in spite of the most obnoxious pressing ministers that have ever been seen on earth. You know what I mean? Turn, turn the television on. Dropping a $20 bill or three or five of them in a plate is nonsense when a man's got a $100,000 job. Do the math. How many minutes? If you drop three 20s in, then you're paying 60 bucks. But if you're making 100000 a year, what do you make a week? Two grand a week? And you're putting 60 bucks in? Yep, you hit the average 3%. The Bible says much about giving. And I'm out of time because I want to be nice today. And I mean that in all reverence. For God, I, I love you sheep, and I don't want to overdrive you ever. I love my brothers and sisters. I don't want to overdrive you. I have much I could say. I don't think I need to say it. But I want to tell you that a great church is a great giving church. Nice. Because there's things that we can do with money that helps the cause of Jesus Christ. The Bible says much about giving, whether it's Proverbs 3, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. The Lord is to get paid off the top, not off the bottom. You know, most give after they've done everything else they want to do. And if there's a couple 20s left over, oh no, it should come off the top to the Lord because it says so. Not because I'm trying to get things out of your pocket. It says, honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all thine increase. It's the first use of money. 
The Bible says a lot about it. The Bible says that you that uh, if you'll bring your tithes and offerings into His storehouse, He'll open the windows of heaven to give you a blessing you can't receive. The Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver in the New Testament. The Bible shows much about giving. It shows Abraham giving Melchizedek 10%. Jacob promising to give 10%. And in Acts chapter 4, just a little bit over from the day of Pentecost, well, it said, it said in Acts chapter 2 that they sold their stuff and shared as every man had need, didn't they? In Acts chapter 4, it describes them like Joseph, who was called Barnabas by the apostles, selling some property in Cyprus and bringing the amount, laying at the apostles' feet and saying, give it to whoever needs it. They were givers. And so the Bible shows much giving. 1 Corinthians 16, the churches of the Gentiles would get together on the first day of the week and lay by themselves in store how God had prospered them. You'll give an account... (laughs) You will give an account for your giving. Because you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of every part of your life, including giving. He will declare how much you partook of others' generosity while holding back yourself. When we get a new building, He will mark your use of it, though you didn't pay for it. You shouldn't want to use a building that was paid for by the largesse and generosity of others that you didn't pay for with an equal percentage of your income. It's sinful folly to say you can't afford to give. You rob God and you deny Bible economics. Because Bible economics says you can't afford not to give. Because the only way to get ahead is to give. You're dead in the water if you try to save money for yourself and not give it to the Lord. He's the one that gives you every cent you have. But you know, I want to go on. The Bible praises and promises things for those that are liberal. I have turned you to Isaiah 32. I have come to love this verse. You know I'm not talking about any little box over there on the table. I'm talking about you before the Lord. Isaiah 32 and verse 8, But the liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. This is not political liberals. This is giving liberals. It means to give generously. The liberal deviseth liberal things. Did David David devise a liberal thing? I am going to pay for Solomon's temple. That's wonderful. Abraham devised a liberal thing. I'm going to give Melchizedek 10% of all that I just got back. Joseph, who was called Barnabas, devised a liberal thing. You know, I've got that retirement property on the island of Cyprus. I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to give it to the apostles. They devised liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. God will remember your liberal things. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 says that Paul told Timothy to charge the rich that they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate, and by so doing with their finances can lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. You know I have mentioned that verse many times. I am still baffled and pleased by that verse because we know that our redemption is not by silver and gold, don't we? First right. Peter chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, one foundation has been laid, and that foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is still a practical salvation that you can get by generous giving. Because when you stand before the Lord of glory, according to Matthew 25, He's going to say, 
You're on my right hand because you took me in when I was a stranger. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. And you visited me in prison. And the righteous are going to say, Lord, when did we ever do any of those things? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. The Lord has given us the balance of truth that no one else has in the world. We believe that eternal life is entirely the gift of a sovereign God through the substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and the monergistic effort of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us. And yet we believe that there are things that God sees and remembers involving cash. And it's the evidence of eternal life. And He'll remember it when we stand before Him. Because Hebrews 6.10 says, But God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. He's going to remember every one of them. I had a conversation with a brother this week. I was telling him what the Lord was going to say to him real soon. The Lord's going to say to him real soon, Thank you for housing me at El Gemma Forest. I love brothers that love to give. I love brothers that love to share. and I love brothers that love to do it as unto the Lord. Do you think we had to work each other up to a pitch to get to that point? Or do you think we started out at that point? The Lord Jesus Christ is going to say to a certain person that you all know, I hope by what I just said, thank you for housing me at El Gemma Forest. Amen. Back to Proverbs chapter 11. There's promises. When promises are attached to a commandment, you don't want to miss them or forget them. God tells us that in Ephesians 6 verses 2 and 3, that the first commandment that he attached a promise to was to honor your father and your mother. That is to treat them specially and with great deference and respect. And God will always remember that and he will give you a good life and a long life because of it. And he says, it's the first commandment that I attached a promise to. But here are some other ones that I just gave you in Isaiah 32, 8. If you devise liberal things, by those liberal things you'll stand. When you stand before God, he will remember every liberal thing that you have done in giving and sharing your assets and your income with others. In Proverbs chapter 11, we have at verse 24, there is that scattereth. There is a man and a way of life that scatters what he has. He scatters his assets and yet increaseth. And there is that a man and his lifestyle that withholdeth more than his meat. He withholds more than he should. He's stingy. He holds back. But it tendeth to poverty. This is a law of Bible economics. When you scatter liberally, you will be increased. When you hold back, you will be reduced. This is God's rules of math. That's why math and budgets should not be used for giving. They have several significant problems with them. You want to give liberally. You don't want it to make mathematical sense all the time. Verse 25, the liberal soul, see there's that word, which means generous. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. When you water someone else, the Lord's going to take care of watering you. Who's got the biggest hose? 
The Lord does. Right. Who, am I, who did I borrow that little phrase from? R.G. Letourneau. They said, how in the world can you give away 90% and keep getting richer? R.G. Letourneau is one of the greatest inventors in American history. 289 patents for heavy earth-moving equipment, oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico, and such like a Christian man. He gave 90% of his income to the Lord, kept getting richer. How can you get ahead giving away 90%? Well, I shovel to the Lord as fast as I can, and he shovels it right back. But he's got a bigger shovel. Those are just, those are neat words. It's a good example from outside the Bible. We have lots of examples inside the Bible. Do you know that the Bible says that when David died, he died a very rich man? How in the world can you give the amount of money that David gave to build Solomon's temple and die a rich man? How does that happen? There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. You say they don't teach that at Harvard Business School, do they? No. And neither do they do it at Wharton or Stanford or the U of M. There's the top four business schools in America. They don't teach it because they don't know it. The liberal soul shall be made fat. Verse 26, He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. If you can corner a market, guess what? If you can corner a market anything, then you can sell it for any price that you want to, and buyers have to pay it. Is that the way to get ahead? God and men will curse you. But you know what? If you just go ahead and sell it at last year's price, even though you could charge three times as much this year, you know, at some places I'm not a capitalist. You know what's inside me, don't you? Man, if I've got a corner in the market, that's my genius and your problem. But that is not what the Lord's taught me. So when I come to a verse like this, I'm no longer a wide-open capitalist. If we have something and everybody else's field dried up and they don't have corn, we sell it at last year's price, maybe a little bit of a premium because there's no corn, because we have to have enough to be able to go into Sowing again when there hasn't been much corn. And that's what the verse is teaching. Wonderful verse. Thank you, Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I love the Bible. I hope you love it with me. I believe you love it with me. We, we want to be a church that loves the Bible and every verse of it and just get excited about these verses. You can never lose giving money away when you give it away for the glory of God and to His people. 2 Corinthians 9.7. Do you know 9.7? Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. That's devising liberal things. Every man should give according as he purposeth in his heart. 2 Corinthians 9.7. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And I hope everything I'm saying is done in a spirit and in a way that it's not to be done grudgingly. It should be the most exciting check you write every week or month. It's to the Lord. Who in the world wants to pay waste management to come and pick up my trash? But to write a check to the Lord is wonderful. And it comes off the top. Boy, I hope there's enough left for waste management. Or they're going to have to turn me over to the collector. We pay our bills. Second Corinthians 9-7 The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. Let's always be a cheerful giver in this church. Verse 6 This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You get back what you put in. And the Lord said it in this testament as well. All glory to God. 
He attaches promises and we should use them. He wants us to use them. He says, try me. Try me in Malachi chapter 3. Bring your tithes and offerings in and see if I can't pour you out a blessing you can't receive. See if I can't curse the destroyer that's been destroying your crops. You guys thought that 50 bushels an acre was a good yield? There's a destroyer out there. Try me. You will be called a delightsome land by every other nation on earth because you'll hit a 100 bushels an acre without changing anything in your farming, but in your giving. That is Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12. Start by being a liberal giver yourself, and let's always keep this church being a liberal giver. Every child should be raised to think of giving a tenth off the top before anything else. Entertaining and showing hospitality by the church should be done to Christ. When we have someone come and visit us, we're going to take care of them. When someone's moving here, we're going to take care of them, and we do. Let's just always do it. And let's do it cheerfully, and let's do it liberally. Which means we give and provide the best we reasonably can without foolish waste. When we send gifts to other ministers and churches, or to the poor that have needs, we want to do it very liberally, as unto Him. Do you know why this church is in such good financial condition? It cannot be explained by math or budgets. It is explained by these principles of righteousness. Because we've been liberal, we just throw it. We scatter it, and it just keeps growing. We we take care of every choice of scattering even one dollar. Trust me. Math and budgets may confuse giving, for God operates above them. There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. Math and budgets corrupt giving, because God said to ignore math and budgets Go read the passage about the year of release. He said, don't you dare, don't you dare even think in your head that you are giving this to this brother or you are loaning something to a brother and the year of release is coming up and you're going to be on the short end of the stick. He said, don't even think that thought, but open your hand wide to your brother and I'll take care of you. Math and budgets may deny the faith because Laterno and a widow that gave in Luke 21 threw both in the trash. Jesus loves liberal givers and he wants us to do it with our might because he gave himself for us. You know the fatted calf feasts we've had in this church? There's not another church in the world that's even thought of them. And they're wonderful. We should probably have one just for good measure soon. They're wonderful. Have they hurt us? No. Do we have a biblical basis for them? In the Old Testament? In the New Testament? Yes and yes. Some of you may not even know what they are. We'll be happy to explain. You know, people find out that we discipline in our church, but oh, bringing them back is worth it. Bringing them back is wonderful, and sometimes we don't wait for anybody to come back. We just want to show the Lord how much we love Him and are thankful for all that He's given us. Church frugality is for buildings and such like. That doesn't mean that our building committee can't get us something decent. If we're going to show frugality, it's for something that is totally unrelated spiritually to things like evangelism, celebrating a recovered sinner, poor saints, things that the Bible specifically identifies, other ministers preaching the gospel. 
It's not wrong for liberal givers to be disclosed for their example from time to time. I just disclosed one and didn't say any names, but you knew who I was talking about because the Bible says that at times they can be disclosed because that's why Barnabas is in Acts chapter 4. And while Barnabas was alive, everyone knew that he was a giant giver. Is there any harm done? No. It's just a good example. I want to be like Barnabas. You would know how to be like Barnabas unless you had Acts 4. Brethren, don't anybody think about holding back because you need to preserve your finances. That kind of thinking is entirely upside down. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word for our church to have reverent worship, to honor attendance, to be growing in service, and to always be liberal in our giving. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen. Stand with me.